Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. I want to thank Dr. John Duke Anthony and the National Council on U.S.-Arab Relations for the invitation to speak with you today. I'd like to talk to you about the tremendous change that's taking place in the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia, unprecedented change, and the efforts that the leadership in the Kingdom is making to bring about this change, not just domestically, but also through our foreign policies, an agenda designed to bring about lasting peace and security and prosperity for the region and for the world. It's important for nations to take the time and energy to reflect on where they've come from and where they're headed. It's not something that comes without risk. You have to be honest with yourself and you have to admit your shortcomings. You have to establish priorities, meaning some ideas make the cut and some don't. You have to challenge short and long-held notions and concepts. You have to be willing to make small changes where things are working and could be better, and big changes where things are off track and not working at all. Changes that not just transform laws and government policies, but also social norms, cultural behaviors. Changes that require national commitment and secure buy-in from citizens, who hand in hand with the government, share the responsibility for implementing these reforms and making this transformation. That's what the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia is doing. It's a bold and decisive transformational agenda that we call Vision 2030. Vision 2030, led by Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman, under the guidance of His Majesty King Salman bin Abdulaziz, is a sweeping initiative of economic and social transformation, a positive, forward-looking plan for our future. We began the journey of Vision 2030 by asking ourselves, if we want to be an economic leader of the 21st century, if we want to find a way to move away from our dependence on oil and become a global leader in diverse business sectors such as high-tech manufacturing, digital innovation, green energy, artificial intelligence, in environmental conservation and sustainability, and in entertainment and tourism, how do we do that? And we went to work. We implemented sweeping changes to our businesses and economic strategies across all sectors and all levels of the economy. For example, we're developing our private sector through broad privatization programs, a billion dollar investment in an incubator fund to support Saudi SMEs, and workforce training programs to prepare all Saudis for the 21st century workplace. We also asked ourselves, if we want to create a more equitable, more inclusive society, where everyone is welcome, where everyone can be a meaningful participant, where everyone can prosper, satisfy their ambitions, and utilize their talents, how do we do it? And we went to work, literally. We recognized that one of the most important goals for Saudi Arabia is gender equity. The progress has far exceeded our expectations. For example, our goal wasn't to increase women's share of the workforce by 24% by 2020. We hit and exceeded that goal by the end of 2019, with women's share of the workforce now at 27% and growing. If we want to set an example for the region, make the case for modernization rather than extremism, diplomacy instead of belligerence, inclusion and diversity without prejudice, then we need to show the way. And with Vision 2030, we are. The kingdom is investing tens of billions in a strategic education reform initiative, billions more in a curriculum reform, and teacher training. And we're opening ourselves up to the world through the establishment of a national tourism industry. But Vision 2030 is not just about the future of Saudi Arabia. It's also about the betterment of the planet. We believe that Saudi global leadership can bring people together, make a stand for tolerance, encourage interfaith dialogue, embrace cooperation between Christian, Jewish, and Muslim communities, and encourage the Muslim community's responsibility to deter animosity and violence. To achieve these goals, Saudi Arabia must lead. And that's with Vision 2030, that's who we are. 
We're investing in and leading efforts to promote moderation and tolerance through initiatives such as the Global Center for Combating Extremist Ideology and the Mecca Charter, a groundbreaking set of principles that provides all Muslims with the principles for the true meaning of Islam and calls for anti-extremism, religious and cultural diversity, and legislation against hate and violence. Vision 2030 is our economic and social blueprint to diversify our economy, create opportunity, and invest in our nation's greatest asset, our people, especially our women and our youth. But it's also a global blueprint to ensure energy security and reliability, to promote sustainability and environmental protections, to eradicate the scourge of terrorism and extremism, this is today's Saudi Arabia. But still, a Saudi Arabia too often misunderstood. Our remarkable progress, reform and change, too often overlooked. Some critics still cling to outdated, outmoded, completely obsolete views of the kingdom. Saudi Arabia takes a lot of heat, and not just because we're in a desert. We recognize that we need to do a better job of correcting an inaccurate and distorted narrative. So. When we're labeled an extremist, we need to remind people that Saudi Arabia does not tolerate extremism within our borders or anywhere else in the world. We are the United States' strongest, most reliable partner against extremism. Together, we go after the men, the money, and the mindset that supports terrorism and extremism. Every day, our militaries are training together, conducting anti-terrorism operations together, and shutting down terrorist sources of money together. When it's suggested that our recent social changes are somehow only for show, not real, we hope that people are able to see our remarkable progress, that women now have private and public sector leadership positions, that women's participation and empowerment is a driving force in the nation's workplace, that the creative arts and entertainment are flourishing, pushing the boundaries of expression, challenging what was acceptable, that cinemas and theaters are opening, concerts and performances with international entertainers occurring, and street festivals taking place all over the country. To give you just a small example, last year, the nation's General Entertainment Authority hosted more than 6,000 events across the country, with more than 27 million in attendance. When we are challenged on human rights, we need to better explain that change doesn't happen all at once. Change is incremental. Progress is not a straight line, but curved. And that what matters most is that the bend of the curve is towards equity, equality, diversity, and inclusion in line with our values, culture, and traditions, and ours is. We're reforming our judicial system, modernizing it with meaningful systemic reforms. Our social reforms are opening doors and cracking the glass ceiling for young women and girls. No longer do women have to look beyond our borders for role models, CEOs, athletes, soldiers, ambassadors. The barriers to women are falling, and women are making their mark on the kingdom. There is no turning back. We don't want to turn back, and we won't. When some say we're environmentally irresponsible, we want these people to better understand the dramatic contributions we're making in the global fight against climate change. The entire economic focus of Vision 2030 is to diversify beyond oil, to invest in sustainability and green energy. And we're already doing that. We have a diversified, ambitious clean energy strategy that by 2030 will add 60 gigawatts of clean energy capacity through wind and solar. And we're already taking groundbreaking steps, including sustainable hydrogen. And when some claim we're to blame for the humanitarian crisis in Yemen, we want them to know that nothing could be farther from the truth. It was the Houthis and their Iranian backers that started the crisis by overthrowing the legitimate government and threatening our national security and the security of the people of Yemen. 
Our sole goal is to reach a political solution that would restore a peaceful, prosperous state of Yemen. To that end, we've participated in every international negotiation. We've kept every UN agreement and have worked to end the suffering of the Yemeni people as the world's largest donor in humanitarian assistance and reconstruction support. But it's been the Houthis and their Iranian benefactors that break every agreement, walk away from every table, and divert and block aid. But we haven't stopped trying. And recently, we announced a unilateral ceasefire in hopes of jumpstarting talks. But the Houthi aggression never stopped. And they responded to our ceasefire with a rain of ballistic missiles on our soil. Since 2016, more than 300 ballistic missiles have been fired into Saudi Arabia, mostly aimed at civilian targets. We'll continue to support a political solution in Yemen, but always defend our national security. We'll keep our focus on building a positive, productive future for ourselves and our region. Our domestic policy and foreign policy, intrinsically linked, as both our work at home and beyond flow from the same principled foundation. Our foreign policy is grounded in the belief that stability and peace create prosperity and opportunity. That when people are included, given a hand up, when people are respected and empowered, there is no soil for extremism, no place for it to grow. Simply put, we believe nations can better focus on domestic economic prosperity and social fulfillment when they're not disproportionately concerned with extreme political ideology and military adventurism. Extremism, terrorism, fanaticism, and stability and prosperity, they're mutually exclusive. Countries must choose, and we have. The kingdom has chosen economic and social transformation, social progress, and cultural advancement, an economy driven by the principles of inclusion, diversity, and empowerment. Investing in our people is a, in a visionary economy that creates boundless opportunities and builds a better, healthier planet. This is the region, the world we imagine. And we're prepared to advance this future, create the model for our region, and in an ideal world, we'd turn all the red lights green and we'd put the pedal to the floor. But our foreign policy agenda, our preference for stability and shared prosperity, it's not shared by all. In our neighborhood, there are divergent worldviews, competing concepts on international relations, conflicting notions on what denotes progress and reform, differing ideas on the value of peace and stability, differing ideas on who deserves to live and die. There are those who want to burn it all down, destabilize everything that is stable. Those who have no interest in building, only in destroying, no interest in stability and prosperity, only upheaval, disorder, confusion and turmoil. No interest in coexistence, only uncompromising, intransigent ideology and dogma. Some are extremist rogue actors and terrorists, like ISIS and Al-Qaeda. Some are terrorist proxies of state sponsors of terror, like the Houthis and Hezbollah. Some are state sponsors of terror, like Iran. That's one side, and we are firmly on the other. There's a reason Saudi Arabia is on the ascent and Iran on the decline. A reason why Saudi Arabia is president of G20 and Iran is isolated, sanctioned and ostracized. A reason why Saudi students who study abroad return home and Iranian youth flee. A reason why the kingdom is attracting talent and Iran is experiencing a debilitating brain drain. It's because while our agenda is stability and prosperity, Iran's is aggressive expansionism and support for terrorist proxies rather than their own families and children. The kingdom and Iran have historic ties that bind our people and nations, but our nations have gone separate directions. Iran remains stuck in 1979. It's still fighting Khomeini's revolution. Every time an Iranian missile is launched by the Houthis towards our cities, we're reminded. 
every time an Iranian speedboat interferes with maritime traffic in the Strait of Hormuz, when drones attack our oil installations, when Iranian-supported terrorists attack innocent civilians in Iraq, in Syria, in Lebanon, in Yemen, we're all reminded. Iran hasn't moved forward, hasn't advanced. They've thwarted progress, remained angry at the achievements of others, sequestered from an international community, sanctioned, not assisted, shunned, not befriended. And as a result, they seek to punish not only their neighbors, but their own people. The Iranian regime has chosen to invest in Hezbollah in Lebanon, the Houthis in Yemen, sectarian militias in Iraq, rather than investing in their own people. Their own people who would choose opportunity, stability, and prosperity if given the chance. But they're not. The Iranian regime has chosen for them. And this choice to seek violence, embrace extremism, find joy in the suffering of others, it cannot be ignored. We cannot turn our heads from it or close our eyes to it. The toll on our communities, our families, our children is too high. We must confront it and stand up to it. The only way to usher in an agenda of stability and prosperity in a region with extremists and terrorists is to be willing to fight for it and defend it. And that's what we've done, often with the United States. Together, standing up to extremism. Together, destroying Al-Qaeda and dismantling ISIS's territorial control. Together, protecting global stability. And while we've had victories, the global fight against extremism continues. All of us must come together in this effort, work together, and cooperatively pressure the state sponsors to stop their funding, and the extremists to put down their arms. Our region has experienced decades of tension and conflict. In Syria, millions of innocent men and women have been victimized. In Yemen, families struggle for basic necessities, but it doesn't have to be that way. It shouldn't be that way, and it must change. There's a future where cooperation brings nations together, where prosperity fuels stability across the region, where Sunni and Shia turn to dialogue, where religious tolerance is the guiding light, where economic and social reforms spur development and advancement, where from Iraq to Yemen, we can turn the page on hostility and focus on post-conflict recovery. Our foreign policy envisions such a world. Our agenda, one of stability and prosperity, committed to negotiating settlements to regional hostilities, de-escalating conflicts, restoring bonds between nations, investing in human development, and forming a common front against terrorism and extremism. Our agenda, committed to a stable, secure Arabian Peninsula and Middle East, where all neighbors can benefit from opportunity, inclusion, cooperation, and multilateralism. A region where we work together. Continuing the pressure on Iran, forcing them back to the negotiation table, and when that happens, making sure any future agreement ensures Iran never acquires a nuclear weapon, ceases its support for regional terrorism and its destabilizing behavior in the region and the world. We know better than most what Iran will do if left to its own devices. Despite security agreements with Iran, meeting with Iranian leaders, even the JCPOA, Iran's dangerous expansionism has persisted and grown. Now let's look elsewhere. Where? Saudi Arabia and the United States work together on Middle East peace. The kingdom has always been at the forefront of efforts to bring peace and security to the region, to securing a just and comprehensive resolution to the Palestinian and Israeli conflict. Because one of the most important steps in securing regional stability is a peace agreement between Israel and the Palestinians. Since as far back as the 1980s, We've led efforts to reach a peaceful agreement, including the Arab Peace Initiative, designed to protect the legitimate rights of the Palestinian people, 
provide security for both Palestine and Israel, and the kingdom has always encouraged dialogue and direct peace negotiations between the Palestinians and Israeli, and we will continue to work towards that goal. Lasting and permanent stability and prosperity in any region results not from conflict, but from dialogue, mediation, discussion, and negotiation. That's something the kingdom and the United States both have always understood. It's a shared understanding and value at the core of our relationship. A relationship established 75 years ago during a meeting between US President Franklin Delano Roosevelt and Saudi King Abdelaziz. Two leaders who didn't know each other well, but knew in the realignment of the post-Second World War world that new friendships and partnerships were essential to peace, prosperity, and global stability. And since then, our bilateral cooperation has been of tremendous benefit, not only to our countries, but to the world. We've worked together to stabilize global energy markets and work together as geopolitical partners, confronting common foes, defeating communism, and ending Saddam Hussein's occupation of Kuwait. There's a reason the US-Saudi relationship is so strong, why our partnership has endured eight decades, why despite bumps and bruises, our friendship persists and perseveres, why our alliance has helped keep both nations secure, why it's strengthened the global economy, why it's been key to maintaining peace and stability regionally and around the world. It's because we've chosen a common path, because we have more in common than divides us, because we feel a shared responsibility to be positive, constructive, progressive forces in this world. That's what's kept our nations allied and kept our people united. Our partnership is bipartisan. It's a relationship that has been valued by both Democratic and Republican administrations. Our relationship is far deeper than just one Saudi leader or one American president. More than 40,000 Saudi students attend college and university in the US each year, bringing our communities together, building long-lasting ties between our nations. Such strong ties, in fact, that in response to the pandemic, some Saudi students didn't return to the kingdom, but stayed in their adopted communities, on the front lines, contributing and assisting. That's the strength of our bilateral relationship and why it continues to grow. And with the kingdom's global role expanding, exemplified by our G20 presidency, our responsibilities in the region, the Middle East and the Gulf, continue to escalate. That will be important to our relationship with the US. As our economic, social and cultural reforms strengthen the kingdom, we'll be even better positioned as the most dependable US ally in the region. We'll be able to take on a larger leadership role in the region and shoulder a greater share of the burden, all while maintaining the same focus on peace, stability and prosperity. We believe our region is stronger when it's more secure and prosperous, and we're willing to work with anyone who shares those values. The Arab world is at the crossroads of the world. Historically, it's been an incubator of ideas and thought, advancements in medicine, great literature, law and philosophy. We believe it can be that again, through stability and prosperity, a hub of advancement and transformation and change, a model for building a more inclusive and diverse society. This is the new Saudi Arabia. This is the real Saudi Arabia. Thank you for your time.